You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Olympic Destroyer may have started with a supply chain compromise back in December. The British Foreign Office blames Russia for not Petya pseudo-ransomware, and the Russian Foreign Ministry says they didn't do anything. Trend Micro researchers find a new Monero crypto mining campaign underway. Coin Herder fishes in altcoin wallets. The Satori botnet has expanded its target list. A new IoT botnet, Double Door, gets into routers with a one-two punch. And the Loopex ICO vanishes into thin air. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 15th, 2018. The hacking of the Winter Olympics appears to have been under preparation at least since December. Investigations suggest that the game's cloud provider, Atos, may have been compromised two months before the Olympics opened. Atos has brought in McAfee to help with its investigation. There appears to have been a reconnaissance phase late last year in which Atos credentials were illicitly obtained and used to prepare for this month's attacks. This is consistent with Cisco's Talos unit's findings. Malware used in the Olympic Destroyer campaign has turned up in VirusTotal, uploaded by unnamed users in France and Romania. Atos is headquartered in France and has significant offices in Romania. The company has confirmed, with McAfee's help, that some of its credentials were hard-coded into the Olympic Destroyer malware. The campaign is now generally regarded as an IT supply chain attack. It's worth noting that the disruption does not seem to have extended to the management of the games themselves. Events have gone off as planned, and scoring and timing systems show no signs of tampering. There is no unambiguous evidence that would support attribution, but speculation continues to point toward Russia on grounds of motive and opportunity. The British Foreign Office has directly attributed last year's NotPetya pseudo-ransomware campaign to Russia, Officials have also warned the Russian government that the U.K. will not tolerate another disruptive attack. Russian representatives dismissed the attribution as Russophobia. The U.K. has been deliberate in its attribution. Ukraine was, unsurprisingly, first out of the gate to blame Moscow, and U.S. official opinion has tracked Ukraine's since last summer at least. The 5G mobile network is being prepped, tested, and rolled out, and it promises speed and convenience— But what about security? 
We checked in with Scott Register, Vice President of Product Management for Cloud and Security Products at Ixia, a Keysight business, to learn more. The ultimate goal of 5G is to basically converge all of the networks that you think about today, mobile, wireline, wireless, Wi-Fi, and you know what we think of as 4G or LTE, all of those different ways that you access the network today in different environments and for different purposes, 5G should ultimately sort of subsume all of those so that there is one very high-speed access mechanism that's available sort of anytime, uh, anywhere. That's the goal. You have all these different things that are available uh, on top of a shared infrastructure. One of the nice things about 5G is that, at least to get started, uh, the providers can reuse a lot of the basic 4G infrastructure that they've built out now, and especially the service providers who have started to invest in, uh, like especially in NFV and SDN to help them scale and automate, those can move more quickly. But I, I think even late 18, early 19, you'll start to see kind of initial things at least build as 5G, although I think it's going to, in reality, it will take multiple years, much like the transition from, if you think about the, the transition from 3G to you know 4G slash LTE, there are lots of kind of marketing claims uh, around that. Oh, we've got the first network. Well, it wasn't really full, you know, LTE, even though it claimed, you know, 4G. So you'll you'll see a, a couple of years uh, involved in the in the rollout. But I think we'll start to see things, you know, at least marketed that way, even even late 18. And so from a security point of view, I would imagine, you know, as we've gone through the various uh, versions of, of wireless uh uh, you know, um, data technology. Um, security has become more and more front and center. Are there any specific um, technologies in 5G that improve the security posture of it? Yes and no. There are some technologies being uh, applied, but because of the scale, right? If you think about replacing all these different networks, you know, the network in the coffee shop, the network in your house, the network in your office, network in the hospital. If you replace all of those with kind of one big network, management becomes uh, difficult just because of the sheer scale. So automation becomes very, very important. And so you'll have an automation layer that sits on top of your virtual devices, you know, NFV devices, because those you can provision and tear down very rapidly, uh, as well as SDN, you know, for flexible kind of plumbing uh, between those. So with that, you will indeed have the ability to say things like when this kind of device, let's say a medical device or a car or whatever comes online, I want to provide end-to-end encryption and provision that through my network from that device. Maybe it's just to the egress of the network, or maybe it's all the way back to the auto manufacturer's site or you know, into their service cloud. Maybe certain types of devices I want to do, I want to do device authentication. I want to do very some very strong authentication to make sure that this particular, I don't know, pacemaker is exactly the one that I think it is. And so it's not so much a new technology, it's just more kind of widespread uh, and standardized adoption of the, a lot of the technologies that we have today, but in a standardized way and, and spread across the network. 
Now, the kind of counter to that is getting that security right becomes really, really important because of the two things we've talked about. One is the sheer scale, the number of devices that are on the network. And two is that shared infrastructure concept. If you think about the biggest IoT denial service attack that we know of recently, like the uh, the Dyn attack, they, they use DNS uh, coming from uh, vulnerable webcams, like IoT devices, right? That was a massive attack, and it took down you know major DNS services on the East Coast, lots of companies offline, et cetera. It was a, it was a big deal, and it kind of leveraged the sheer scale of IoT devices. Now, think about that device count, which was maybe in the just tens of thousands and then multiply it out enormously. So maybe it's, it's in the millions or it's in the hundreds of millions. Think about the scale of what that kind of attack could look like coupled with the fact that the network is not isolated, meaning, yeah, the internet is big and it's important to us, but you can maybe still talk to people inside your building. Even if the internet is down, you can still make phone calls from your phone even if DNS is down for major parts of, of the country. But if whatever security, a denial of service attack, maybe a denial of service attack, but not exactly looking the, the way that we think of one today, if that is able to impact not just the slice of the network that you're on, but the actual infrastructure that's providing services for all of these different slices, then that is, that's a really bad thing, right? Because someone launches a denial of service based on some car network over here and suddenly people's you know healthcare devices go offline uh, or they can't unlock their doors or they can't get into their buildings or they can't read email or whatever that becomes a really big deal so how we apply that security and how we make sure that it protects the infrastructure that underpins all of these you know different provision networks as well as you know provide security for the end devices, provide things like end-to-end encryption. Yeah, that becomes even more important than it is uh, today. That's Scott Register from Ixia. We have an extended version of our interview on our Patreon page. Our Patreon supporters get first access to it, and then in a few days it'll be available for everyone. That's at patreon.com slash the cyberwire. Researchers at security firm Trend Micro report that their sensors have detected vulnerabilities in Apache CouchDB that are being exploited in the wild by Monero crypto mining malware. Crypto jacking is currently drawing the most attention from cyber criminals, probably because it's relatively easy to pull off, even if the payout seems, if reports are to be believed, relatively small. The big money seems to be in straightforward scams. In one such campaign, CoinHerder is now under investigation by the Ukrainian police with an assist from Cisco. CoinHerder is a complex phishing operation that uses Google AdWords to poison search results in ways that induce victims to give up access to their wallets, which the criminals then proceed to loot. Losses from CoinHerder are said to run to some $50 million. Botnets continue to be used for various criminal purposes. The Satori botnet is evolving, according to security firm NetLab360, and now affects routers made by South Korea's Dasan Networks. This development is regarded as serious by observers, if only because it's unlikely that the routers will ever be patched. The Secure Team Vulnerability Disclosure Service, part of the firm Beyond Security, told Ars Technica they tried without success to contact Dasan in October. Dasan has so far not commented, 
but about 40,000 routers could be susceptible to Satori. Satori, you'll recall, is a variant of Mirai. And researchers at New Sky Security say that their honeypots have detected the formation of a new IoT botnet. This one is being called Double Door because it chains two exploits to bypass a firewall and compromise a router. The first backdoor, which is CVE 2015-7755, affects the firewall, Juniper Network's net screen. The second, CVE 2016-10401, enables privilege escalation to obtain a superuser account on Zizel PK501Z devices. Both vulnerabilities are, of course, known and have been addressed by the vendors, but a large number of susceptible devices remain unpatched. And finally, we all like transparency, right? There's been another initial coin offering scam reported, and people have thought for a while that the startup involved lacked transparency. LoopX, which may have been a cryptocurrency exchange, had promised a proprietary algorithm yielding great profits continually every month. What that algorithm, which they called the Loop algorithm, actually did was unclear. So LoopX lacked transparency. But over the weekend, it achieved a different kind of transparency by vanishing into thin air. And everybody now sees right through it. Investors in the ICO are left sadder but wiser to the tune of some $4.5 million. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, welcome back. Uh, We had a story come by via The Hill, uh, and this is about the New Jersey governor signing some net neutrality orders. Now, of course, we've seen the FCC back off of net neutrality. So uh, are, are the states taking matters into their own hands? So they're trying. There's a limit to what the states can do. So, of course, President Obama instituted regulations establishing net neutrality. The FCC overturned those regulations uh, a couple of months ago, and that sort of left the void for proponents of net neutrality to kind of filter down to the states. New Jersey just elected a new governor, uh, Phil Murphy, who signed an executive order prohibiting all uh, ISPs that do business within the state from blocking, throttling, or favoring web content. Now, this could potentially be legally problematic. Hmm. Within the regulations laid out by the FCC are what are called uh, preemption elements. 
states. And what preemption means is that there's something in the regulation that says states cannot regulate net neutrality beyond the scope of what's been regulated by the federal government. And Congress and federal agencies have the right to do that under our constitutional system. If they write in that federal law preempts, then federal law preempts. Hmm. Where we sometimes see exceptions to that is when the state acts not as a regulator, but as a purchaser. So New Jersey, in the course of its business, has to uh, purchase services from uh, from internet service providers. So, for instance, they have to have internet access at the state house, and they have to have internet access at the DMV. So, somebody is sending a check to Comcast or to AT and T. Right. And what this executive order does is it says you are not eligible for these contracts if you throttle internet services, if you block web content, and not just to uh, us, to anybody in the state. So it's not to anybody in the state. It's just as it applies to companies doing business with the government. And that's oh. really the only power the state of New Jersey has here. Uh, if they were to pass some sort of law banning net neutrality, the FCC would step in and say the preemption applies. This is a nat- uh, national issue. Congress has the right uh, and through the federal agencies to regulate interstate commerce. This certainly falls under inter- uh, interstate commerce. Uh, they've chosen to preempt state action on this. But where the states do have a little leeway is is in their own purchasing practices. And uh, I think that's what the governor of New Jersey is trying to, to leverage here. Now, a separate issue is that a bunch of states, uh, state attorneys general, I always get that term incorrectly, <laughs> are suing uh, the FCC on the basis of uh, overturning net neutrality. And, and that's a whole separate question. But until that's resolved, States can try to enact regulations. I think they're going to be subject to pretty strict uh, preemption uh, lawsuits from the FCC and the federal government. Um, so they have to sort of use creative maneuvers uh, to, to get around that preemption. And using their power as a consumer in the market, as a purchaser, I think is a, is a really strong way to do that. Interesting stuff. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.
Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. (laughs) 